Amen. Good morning, church, and welcome. Good to have you here. Wasn't that great just to worship together in song? We'll come back to Matthew chapter 5 once again. The last words we left with last week, verse 16 in chapter 5, talked about, in the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. And that triggers this idea of good works in Jesus' teaching. He has spoken in the third person about our Christian character in the Beatitudes. He has spoken in the second person about our influence, about our purpose as the salt and the light of the earth. But now he speaks with first-person authority as he speaks about himself and the law. Jesus was a great problem to his contemporaries. They didn't know where he fits. He was a mystery to them. He was not a Pharisee. He was not officially a rabbi. He was untrained, and yet he taught with such authority that the people could not turn away. He criticized the accepted leaders. He criticized their teaching, and he criticized it by his own words and actions. And so questions began to arise. Doesn't he believe in the holy writings? Is he throwing out the past? Where does he fix? And so here, right at the start of Jesus' public ministry, he wants to make a strong statement about himself and the law. This was something that affected the average Jew every day of their life. So the law was a matter of great interest. For the Pharisees had made 613 commands to supplement the Ten Commandments. It wasn't enough to have the commands of God. They had to tell you what those commands were and in great, great detail. Jesus had already been in conflict with those Pharisaical laws. And he would continue to be in conflict with those Pharisees throughout his ministry. And so there's great interest when Jesus starts talking about the law. What is he going to tell us that he believes? And so we hear these words about Jesus and the law. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I do not have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that, Of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And so with those words, Jesus makes it very clear that he has total respect for the law. And so his conflict with the Pharisees is not a conflict with the law of God. Jesus broke the Pharisaical law quite often. So he must have meant God's holy law. And Jesus places himself under that law of God. Jesus' faith was fed by the Old Testament. And so our faith, too, is fed by the Old Testament. All of the New Testament is understood on that foundation. Do a study in the book of Hebrews to see how the Jews were learning that day by day. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers in various times and in many ways through the prophets. But now he has spoken through his son. And we recognize that he's the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. And so our faith cannot renounce its roots as the people of God. But our faith can neither grow or live without new growth. 
And so Jesus began by affirming the need for the Old Testament law. But because he has come, that law now has new meaning. That law has now been filled full of the meaning that God had in store for it at the beginning. Now, Jesus knew he would be challenged constantly throughout his ministry by the Pharisees. And so he makes this strong, strong statement right at the fact. There's not going to be a surprise ending later. I'm not going to switch the law around. I have come to fulfill that law. And so to fulfill it, not to complete something that was missing, but give it its total meaning by proper obedience. One word for fulfill and to fill full. Jesus has come to fill the law full of the meaning that God has for us. St. Augustine said the New Testament is concealed in the Old Testament. And the Old Testament is revealed in the New Testament. It is all the flow of God's story. In the Old Covenant, we learn so many things that we need to know about God's absolute truth. Now, we might often criticize the Jews for falling short because they take the Old Testament without Jesus. But so many Christians want to take the New Testament without the Old. And it's just as dangerous. For it is built upon the foundation of the laws that God was teaching us. To prepare us for the good news. To learn about God's grace and mercy for his people. To learn the seriousness of sin and God's absolute authority over us. To learn of his love, that long-suffering love that is ours through Jesus Christ. It teaches us that we cannot rely upon ourselves and our own strength, but only through Christ can we live this Christian life. And so the present grows out of the past, out of God's trustworthy history with his people. And if the law is important to Jesus, it certainly should be important to us as well. And so there's not only a respect for the law and the fulfillment of that law, but that fulfillment meant an enlarging of the law, more than just the legalism that had come to be the pharisaical lifestyle. Jesus said, I have not come to abolish the law or the prophets, but to fulfill them. He didn't come to leave them the same either. We recognize the word of God back in the Old Testament. This is what Jeremiah said in his prophecy In chapter 31, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. What a promise to us that it will no longer be written on tablets of stone, but on hearts of flesh. And so Jesus now comes to move that law from an outward cold legalism to this inner glow of the joy that we have in Christ Jesus. There was a woman who married very young and soon found out after she was married that the man to whom she was married was very harsh and legalistic. And early in their marriage, He gave her a list that he posted on the refrigerator door and said, these are the things that I expect of you as my wife. And she cringed every time she saw that list. For it just spoke of the legalism of their relationship. And yet she fulfilled 
the things on the list. After many years of this kind of of abuse, he grew ill and died. She did not even consider remarrying because marriage had not been a happy situation for her. And yet one day she met this wonderful Christian man and fell in love. And they soon were married. And so they're going along in this wonderful new relationship. And one day, while unpacking some boxes, she found the list. (laughs) And she began to weep. Not because of the memories it brought up of that first abusive situation. But because as she read the list, she saw that all the things she was doing out of obligation before, now she was doing the very same things, but out of love. And thankfulness. And so God wants to move that law inward for us. That we don't respond to a legalistic God because he is going to come and and squish us if we don't. We respond to a God of love who has forgiven us and filled us by his spirit. He wants to enlarge the law from negative to positive. To bring it within. It removes the narrowness of the law. Jesus said, you've heard love your neighbors, but I say, love your enemies. He always brings it internal. And really, the rest of the fifth chapter internalizes this law by illustration. You have heard that it was said, do not murder. I say, do not be angry. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. I say, do not lust. He always takes it from the outer action to the inner motivation. He wants our hearts to be purified by his spirit. And so we have Jesus' very strong statement about the law. But what about me and the law? We've seen what Jesus says about the law. What about us? It is written on my heart, as Jeremiah has prophesied. He lives within me, and I long for him to be there. David said in the very first Psalm this, Bless the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. And then throughout the Psalms, we see your laws, your precepts. I rejoice in these. The law of God is for our good. And it is a law of love. And so God's laws are important to us. Jesus says, anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same. You see the way action and teaching go together. Because we must teach others what we also are living. But they will never respond if we're not living it. For we teach what we know, but we reproduce what we are. And we are to be truly Christian in the way we live out our lives before God. Not following a cut and dried legalistic system, but a law that is fulfilled in love. We are called into the fellowship of Jesus Christ. We are called to submit to the cross and to the filling of his Holy Spirit that we might be able to keep the law. When we started in this beautiful Sermon on the Mount, I told you without the Holy Spirit, these are the most difficult and frustrating chapters in all of Scripture. For we can't keep them of our own strength, but his spirit working within us can bring about this way of life. The life of righteousness. The life of holiness. Jesus told the disciples in the upper room later in his ministry, the Holy Spirit will come and he will convict the world in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. It is a Holy Spirit 
who convicts us there is a right way to live. And we are to live that way. It's what Jesus began to teach here in these verses, talking about the law of God. And so this life of righteousness is ours to live. And really, verse 20 here is preview of all that will go on in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. We must surpass the righteousness of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Not wipe them out, not criticize them and say, oh no, we're going to go another way, but allow God's law to be written on our hearts and allow him to inhabit us by his spirit. That that law is a love relationship that we have with Jesus. Jesus is not afraid to point out false teaching. And so we too, when we hear heresy, must point it out and say that is not God's way. We have learned God's absolutes in Scripture. Jesus was going to clash with the Pharisees throughout his ministry because they approached life with two different sets of values. The Pharisees were interested in religious details, while Jesus was interested in spiritual principles. The Pharisees were interested in outward actions, and Jesus is interested in the motivation of the heart. The Pharisees followed the letter of the law, but Jesus wanted them to understand the spirit of the law. They had this religion of authority, and Jesus offered them a relationship with the Holy Spirit. But religion of authority will flourish as long as people would rather be warm in a feeling of being justified and right in their actions than they are in finding the truth of God. The Catholic Church in the midst of the Middle Ages fall, fell in a, a difficult time where they were selling indulgences. And if you just paid enough to the church, then your sins would be forgiven. But the Pharisees were there already in the first century. This works righteousness. And we're in danger in our day of falling into works righteousness if we see this in the wrong order. Of course we are called to do good works. Do a study in the book of James. It will talk a lot about good works. But it's not good works to earn our salvation. It is good works in response to what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. We are so grateful for what he has done. We know we can't earn it by our good works. But we respond in love and live this righteous life. There is a right way to live. And so our life with Christ must go beyond the negative of the law and into the positive of relationship. The Pharisees took pride in what they did not do. And many Christians today take pride in what they do not do. No amount of things we don't do makes us Christian. We are Christian because we have been saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. By grace you are saved through faith, not of yourself, not of works, so that no one can boast, but it comes from him. We believe in salvation by faith alone, through the grace of Jesus Christ. And after that, in response to his love, in response to his grace, then we live this life of righteousness. And never must we turn it around and feel like somehow we're repaying him, somehow God got a pretty good deal when we signed up. To recognize that it is only the cross of Jesus Christ that saves us. Nothing that we can ever do. Paul said, my good works are just like filthy rags. There's nothing here. And ours are the same. But we offer up our lives to Jesus in service. Jesus said the Pharisees had made the law equal to their God. They were satisfied because of their goodness. But Jesus said they were like a cup 
that was washed on the outside, but inside was still filthy. Like a whitewashed tomb that was clean and white on the outside, but inside death and decay. Jesus is more concerned with the inside, with what motivates us, with why we do what we do. And so this life of righteousness is complex, and it must be understood in the light of the cross and the light of the Holy Spirit living within us. In the light of what Jesus did on the cross, because he satisfied the justice of God. One thing the old covenant teaches us is that sin leads to death. It's repeated over and over in the New Testament. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And so we recognize that Jesus paid for my salvation. He died for me that I might have life. And so our righteousness, our holiness, is the gateway to heaven. Hebrews 12, 14 says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And so this holy life that God calls us to in Jesus Christ matters. It matters how we live. If we can go back to last week's metaphors of the salt of the earth and the light of the world, it matters how we live. It matters in the influence we have on others around us. The influence we allow Christ to have as he lives through us and into our world. It must be written on our hearts. You see, the Pharisees aimed to satisfy God's law. But the Christian's aim is to show gratitude for God's love. And so we begin to recognize the power of God and how he has changed us and how righteousness becomes internalized. Hear these words from Romans chapter 8. Therefore, now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death for what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin and sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. We have been changed. We have been transformed by His Spirit living within us. Jesus is telling us how to live. We recognize that, and we want to listen to it. He will live within us by His Holy Spirit. We began months ago in the upper room with Jesus when he was introducing the disciples to the Holy Spirit. And he said over and over to them, if you love me, obey me. Hear these words again from chapter 14, verses 15 through 17. If you love me, you will obey what I command and I will ask the father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. And there's the strength that allows us to live this spirit-filled life. That's what Jesus promises us. And that's where he wants us to live. Not in bondage to the law and legalism of Christian do's and don'ts. But the joy of relationship with Jesus Christ through his spirit. What a difference it makes. What a difference we can make in our world. 
And so Jesus makes this strong, strong statement about the law at the start of his ministry. And he says, those who practice and teach these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And so we want to not only practice them, but teach them to others as well. Let me just share with you before we come to communion. These verses from right at the end of the first chapter of the Colossian letter. It says, to them... God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ living within us. And then Paul says, we proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. He says, to this end I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works within me. You see Paul's connection with Christ. I work with all of his energy, which so powerfully works within me. Paul said, I can't tell where Christ ends and I begin. We are one with him. He has changed us. And never is that more evident than when we as a church come to the Lord's table together. To recognize the truth of his love. And as we recognize that today, let's come in prayer. And you, wherever you are watching this, if you're home, in your living room with your family, gather the elements for communion. Let's come before the Lord as we recognize his incredible truth. Father, we are your children. And we don't want to get caught up in the temptations of Satan to live the way the Pharisees lived. It's an easy way to live, to have a bunch of rules. And if we fulfill those rules, then we feel righteous. Father, you call us to live at a deeper level. Not to live by a legalistic code, but to live in relationship with you. That's what you made possible at the cross. That's what you made possible at the day of Pentecost. That's what you have made possible in your church through the ages. And what you make possible for us today. And so we come as a church before you. We come realizing that it's by your broken body and your shed blood that we can have new life. And by the fullness of your spirit that that new life can be demonstrated day by day in the life of righteousness and holiness. May your love embody us in such a way that people will know who we are by our love. It's what struck the world of the first century. Behold the way they love one another. Father, may that be said of us as well. What sets us apart is the love that you have placed within us. The love that is ours because of your grace. And the love that we freely give away. Because your word says, freely you have received, freely give. And so, Lord, we come this morning to your table. We recognize that we didn't earn this salvation, that you gave it freely. What a gift. We love you. We celebrate your presence through the sacrament this morning. In the word it says, the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had blessed it, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take and eat it remembrance of me.
says in the same way. After the supper, he took the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. They knew all about covenant. They had had the covenant of God through Adam, through Abraham, through David. Jesus comes with his brand new covenant. By his body, by his blood, we have this new life. And he said, whenever you drink of this cup, you proclaim my death until I come again. We've been talking about the flow of Old Testament into New Testament. But prophecy takes us from Old Testament into New Testament into the coming days of our coming King. We recognize the flow of God's history and we are a part of that flow. He said, take and drink this cup in remembrance of my death and resurrection. Father, your grace is so far beyond our imagination. We thank you for it, but we can't comprehend it. We love you in return. And all we can say is we want to live in a way that honors your love. To live in a way that responds to the grace we have received. Paul says so often, live a life worthy of the calling you have received. We can't do it by our strength, but by your spirit within us. We can walk this holy way. We can live by this new law that you spoke of in this life of righteousness. Guide us as we walk into this week with all that it holds and with every opportunity. May our eyes be wide open to the truth you want to relay to our world through us. Use us as healing agents in your world. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Church, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and give you peace. His peace. The world didn't give it to us. The world can't take it away. Praise the Lord. Have a great day in Christ.